It all begins when Jesus enters into Jerusalem on a donkey. Hosanna, Hosanna, waving palm branches everywhere. He was going to get ready to celebrate Passover. Jesus had his last supper with his disciples. What did they eat at the Passover meal? Um, bacon and roni. He picked up the bread and he told us, My body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he picked up the wine and said, This is my blood shed for you. Jesus told the twelve disciples that one would betray him. Peter even said, They may betray you, but I will stay with you, Lord. Jesus said, Nope, you're going to all betray me. For 30 coins. Judas. 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 Judas, yes. And then Jesus said, don't fall asleep. I'm going to go to the garden and pray. He said, Abba, Father, remove this cup from me, not from my will, but for yours. And then God replied and said, I'm sorry, this is all I can do. And so Jesus was like, okay, I'm obeying you. I trust you. His disciples were asleep. And he said, y'all can't even pray for one hour. Judas betrayed Jesus for his money. And the guards arrested him. Peter came out and cut one of the guards' ears off. The guard was like, ah, my ear. Then Jesus was like, stop it. So he put the ear back on the person. I mean, like, literally, it stuck back on. Then what happens when they come get him? They take him before? The camel. The what? Pontius? Camel. Not a camel. They might have taken him on a camel. To Pontius. He's a pilot. He said them a choice, the man and or or Jesus, to be free. Crucify him, crucify him. And soldiers put the crown of thorns on Jesus' head. He was scarred and beaten and spit at, and they were just very mean to him. They hurt him a lot, a lot, beat him up. The soldiers gambled for Jesus' run. He spit on them, they yeah. hit them, and then he had to carry his claws all the way to the skull mountain. But he couldn't, he couldn't carry it the whole way, so someone had to come and help him. They put it in the ground, and they nailed him with his feet. He got nailed on his hand. Jesus died on the cross. He died on the cross for our sins. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. The curtain was split in two. From top to bottom, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate if he could have the body and bury. They put him in a tiger's den. Jesus was in the tomb, and Mary, Martha, and Mary went to pour oils on Jesus to make him smell better because the dead body smells gross. When he got in the tomb, and they came alive again. He rose. He rises from the dead. The tomb was empty. Well, that's great. You got to love that. Uh, Wow. You know, we really do miss all the families and all the kids today. It's definitely a different Easter, but at the same time, we're so thankful for technology that we can be right there in your living room. And so I hope this time is a time of discipleship for your family, a time that, as we talked about a great deal last week, that we're investing, that you're investing in your kids, that you're really, really discipling them and using this time as an opportunity 
to really set the tone, the leadership in your home spiritually, and maybe God's just doing a new thing, and, that, and that's awesome. Today we're back in the book of Mark, and we've been in Mark for a while, for sure. We're not doing the uh, resurrection passage today. We're not there yet, but I'm hoping and praying that the day that we get to that passage is the day that we all get back together again. And so we'll see how that works. But this is all leading up right to the moment. We're only uh, right before the actual crucifixion, a couple days from the resurrection. So we're in Mark chapter 14, and we're going to be in verses 43 through 50. Mark 14, verses 43 through 50 in the English Standard Version of the Bible. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Man Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this Resurrection Sunday. We thank you for the hope that we have because of the empty tomb. And Father... We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I pray that today, as we look at this text, as we look at this passage, that you will give us faith that at the moment of trial, the evil day, when it comes, that we won't run, we won't fight, but we will follow in faith the Father's will, even as Jesus did. In his name we pray, amen. I know it's unusual to admit this in South Georgia, but I'm not a hunter, okay? So hunting is not my thing, never was. Grew up in West Virginia. Hunting is a very big deal there as well. I think I went one time uh, when I was a kid. And uh, so a few years ago, Harrison, who's uh, now 13, he was really interested in going hunting. And so uh, it was getting near, near the end of deer season, so I decided, okay, we got to take him. So I asked around and Mark Harrell, thank you, Mark, uh, took us uh, hunting on their property. And uh, he drove us in, uh, he and Lauren, and then he dropped Harrison and I off near one deer stand, pointed us down a trail and said, follow that trail, you'll get to your deer stand, it'll be right there, we'll go on up a little bit and go to ours. And so Harrison and I began to walk down the trail. And it's, you know, right at dusk, it's starting to get uh, pretty dark at this moment, it's really quiet, you hear nature and we're in some tall grass, some deep grass, walking between uh, deep grass, and we hear this, this growling, and we hear this grunting in the tall grass. 
And I'm telling you, not being a hunter, some of you are like, oh man, that's no big deal. It's all the time. But okay, so I'm not a hunter. And, and I hear this, Harrison hears it, and I start to freak out. I start to panic because it's, it's recognizable what it is. It, we're talking about a wild pig in this grass. And of course, my gun, my rifle is in the holster. It's in the, uh, the case, a soft case. I'm carrying it and there's no bullets in there. And so at this moment, I'm trying to decide, should we make a run for the deer stand or should we try to should I get my, my rifle out and try to you know, shoot this thing if it comes charging out at us? And, and I'm literally in one of those fight or flight moments at this point. My heart is racing. Harrison's a little panicked. He's actually better off than I am. Um, I'm, I'm a little panicked. And my heart is racing. Adrenaline's kicking in. And, and I'm having this moment. And I do get my gun out. I'm trying to stick bullets in. I'm dropping them on the pl- all over the place. I mean, it would have been a bad moment. But I'm, I'm like, I'm not going down to some pig, all right? I'm not going to die today because this pig attacks us. But I, did, I had this full emotional response at this moment. We were all right. We got to the tree stand. The pig didn't come out, fortunately, and attack us. But we see in the passage of Scripture today, we re- literally see this fight or flight uh, thing that happens psychological to people when they perceive we're under threat or, or something dire is going to happen to us and we're going to be attacked. And we see Jesus and his disciples there in the garden. And now Judas is coming with Roman guards with swords and the religious leaders, people carrying clubs. And what do we see? We see fight from Peter. He pulls out his sword. He's ready to go. He cuts the guy's ear off. And we also see, after a few minutes of resistance, we see all the disciples, as Jesus predicted, flight. They just take off and they run. But what do we see from Jesus in this passage? And we'll see it over the next few weeks. Jesus is a picture of being composed in this situation. We see incredible uh, just faith in this moment. We see a third option that's possible for the believer, which is faith, not fight or flight. Why did Jesus respond this way? Well, you may naturally be thinking, well, Jesus is God. Why would he not respond that way? But let's think about where we've been the last few weeks. Jesus has been in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what has he been doing there? He's agonizing, extreme emotion over him. He's, in fact, Luke tells us that drops of sweat like blood were falling to the ground. He's crying out to God, is there any other way possible? If there is, God, please let this cup of wrath pass from me. And we talked about that the last few weeks. If you missed that, go back and see what, that, what that's talking about. But what we have here is Jesus is preparing for the cross. And we see that before he could surrender his body to be beaten and crucified on the cross, he first surrendered his will to the heavenly, his heavenly father in the garden. So before the cross came the garden. And Jesus emerged from the garden with complete confidence in God's sovereignty. Look back in verse 36. He was crying out, Abba, Father. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So Jesus responds to fear with faith because he walks out of the garden and he meets the people who are coming to take him away and ultimately kill him with total faith because he has hope and confidence in God's sovereign will. His prayers in the garden brought him to this place. Jesus teaches us, in Gethsemane, how to fight our battles. 
And you know what else we see there? We see the disciples, how not to fight our battles. And so one thing is important as we talk about this passage today, that we need to understand that faith doesn't deny reality. Things are tough. They're hard. People are literally dying because of coronavirus, and people are dying because of, of, of many, many things. And all of us, unless Jesus returns, we're ultimately going to die. We're going to experience pain, and it's going to lead to death. But Pastor John Bloom points out, God designed us to experience fear. Why? In some measure, because he designed us to live by faith. So fear is a reality. But we can learn from Jesus to prepare for the moment. So God didn't respond to Jesus' prayer. As some people teach, if you have enough faith, then God will just take the situation away from you. No, God did not grant his request, but gave him the strength to surrender to the will of God and to face what God had called him to do. And then look in verse 41. Jesus returns back to his disciples after praying, and he says, it's enough. It's time. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let's go, guys. Rise up. He's right there. The betrayer is at hand. So Jesus is ready. He's now at peace. It's a different Jesus than we saw the last few weeks in the garden. This is a Jesus who knows what's before him. And in fact, the New Testament tells us, Paul tells us, for the joy that was before him, he endured the cross. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what was to come. He knew that redemption was possible and the Father's will was possible in this moment. And then verse 43, and immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came. And, and look, Mark points out one of the 12. One of the 12. You know why? He wants us to be crystal clear on the fact that this is Judas the disciple. Sometimes names are given in Scripture, and we don't know exactly because people were named just like today, the same name. But Mark wants us to know this is Judas, one of the 12. So sad. We talked about this some weeks ago as well. Judas had so much going for him, so much privilege to be discipled by Jesus himself and to be in the company of Jesus, eat his meals with Jesus, hear Jesus teach, just to be with him day after day. And to see Jesus, who was God, to see this overwhelming love and compassion like never before has been seen in a human being because he was God. Yet Judas turns on Jesus and betrays him because he's consumed by greed. In fact, Luke tells us that Satan entered Judas. Why? Because Judas wasn't a true believer. Satan entered him. And so in verse 43... Judas comes, and it says, with a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. So clearly, the religious leaders never understood Jesus, never understood his intentions. Here they come thinking that they're going to get resistance, that they're going to have to fight Jesus. Clearly, they misunderstood. They had the wrong expectations. They did not understand what Jesus had come to do. They should have known as they studied Scripture, but they didn't know. And the Romans, obviously, they saw Jesus as a potential rebel, a threat to lead some insurrection against him because they come with swords. Verse 44, Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi. So it would have been dark in the garden, very dark, 
the disciples would have been dressed similar. And so Judas needs to point out who Jesus is to the Roman guards. And he greets Jesus with the term rabbi, just such hypocrisy. He comes up and he, and he kisses Jesus. And during this time, men would often kiss one another as a show of friendship, a sign of affection on the cheek, both cheeks. But here we have a, what would be a sign of affection, and it becomes a sign of defection. What a paradox that's happening here, that he, he greets him with rabbi, teacher, and then he kisses him. And the, the, in the original language here, this isn't just a brief, quick kiss. This is an affectionate show of respect type of behavior that one would have. So such hypocrisy. Again, this is where we get the expression, the kiss of death from Judas. And I've always questioned why Judas would do this. Why would he kiss Jesus rather than just pointing out, oh, it's that guy right there. Why would he do that? Well, we don't know for certain why this happened, but I can't help but to think maybe it was to cover up a little bit or soften a little bit of what's going on here and maybe cover up what his role was in the betrayal. It seems to me like maybe one of those moments where someone compounds something they've done that was horrible and evil by doing something that's awkward or contradictory to what they just did. I think about um, a, a man who uh, secretly has, has cheated on his wife, and then he just lavishes his wife with flowers and gifts. Uh, it, it's just this paradoxical way of living. I, I think about another situation where a youth pastor I had one time told me about a father who had a, a, a wife and a couple kids, and he had decided to leave his family to go to be with this other woman. And it was, as you can imagine, just this great, incredibly stressful situation leading up to this. And then the moment where he came to the house to get some of his belongings, some of his things, and the kids were just sobbing and crying, Daddy, don't go. Daddy, don't leave us. Daddy, don't go. And the wife is crying and kind of that mixed emotion, anger mixed with just sadness and just distraught. And as the guy's getting his things and the kids are hanging on to him, he's, he's walking out the door and he turns around and he says, I love you. I love you. What? I love you? Is that what love is for real? And, and, I, and I get this from Judas. I get this. He, he's showing this affectionate kiss to Jesus, all the while stabbing him in the back, the kiss of death. And I think one thing this kiss does, it reveals to us the deceptive nature of sin itself. You see, the foundation of sin is deception and hypocrisy. Sin always tries to cover up its tracks. And so it's deceptive. And so think about your own life for a second. Is sin breeding itself through your secret activity, through your covert actions, through the things that you think nobody else knows? And maybe tragically in this time of being alone more or being isolated more, that maybe you found yourself falling into some sins that, are, that just have a grip on you at this time. Well, there's hope. There's resurrection power. There's hope for you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Luke adds when Judas kisses him, he says, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? He asks him that. Are you, are you doing this? Really, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And then verse 46 and 47, 47, and they laid hands on Jesus, and they seized him. And then our man Peter here, we know from John, this is Peter. 
But one of, the tw- of, the, of those who stood by, he drew his sword and he struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. So Peter, for the moment at least, he's showing courage. Remember what he told Jesus? I'll die for you, Jesus. I'll never leave you. That ain't going to happen. I'm not going to abandon you. But what happens after the initial little confrontation, altercation here, we're going to see Peter, just like the other 12, they're going to take off. But look what Jesus responds. He says to them, have you come out as against a robber? You know me better than that. With swords and clubs to capture me. He says, look, I was accessible to you day after day. But he knows the people are behind Jesus still at this point. And they knew they couldn't just capture him in public view. There would be a revolt. But he says, day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. And I think it's interesting what Luke adds in this commentary. Every gospel author, they kind of give their, their, a little bit different, all just equally the, the same in the overriding storyline, but a little bit different things of this, I heard this, and it's only fitting that, that this is pointed out um, and Luke also pointed out that Jesus healed the man. Being a doctor, he pointed out that Jesus healed the guy's ear. But he points this out as well. Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. He says, this is your hour. And I think he's referring to Satan here. When darkness reigns, even though this was God's plan, it was not just Jesus, the only good person truly to ever live, the only righteous person to ever walk this earth. And he's rejected. He's deceived. He's tricked. He's betrayed. But the Father's plan all along. And so to reject Jesus, as Judas did, is to be deceived by Satan. He says, darkness reigns. Judas He was a tool used by Satan. As I pointed out a minute ago, that Satan had even indwelled him, had possessed him. Satan was looking to destroy Jesus and the disciples. Think back earlier, a few few sermons earlier, where Jesus said, Peter, Satan himself has asked to sift all of you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. You see, Satan was after the disciples. He wanted to destroy them. And Satan is after us. He wants to destroy us as well. Darkness may seem at this moment in time to be reigning over this earth. We see so much tragedy. So many people are fearful and scared. And what's happening? What's going on? And Satan wants to use this opportunity to sift our faith like wheat. He wants to prove us to be unfaithful. And and, and he wants us to look at God and say, God, you can't be trusted. God, you're not good. If you were good, how in the world could this be happening? And Satan wants us to believe that. He wants us to walk away from Jesus. He wants to deceive us. But remember, Satan is a liar. And Scripture says that he disguises himself as an angel of light. And so oftentimes it doesn't look like evil when Satan comes and tries to trick us and tries to scheme against us. And unbelievers... If you're watching today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, he wants to blind your eyes to the truth of the gospel. He wants to blind your eyes to the historical fact of the resurrection. He wants you to look at Christianity and say, 
those Christians, they just need a crutch. They just need something to get by. This resurrection thing, that's, that can't be trusted. He wants you to believe that. He wants to blind your mind. And for Christians, he wants you to struggle in faith. He wants your faith to fail. He wants you to fall. In Ephesians 6, Paul gives us this warning. He said, the evil day is going to come. Ephesians 6, verse 11 and 13. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The, the devil is scheming against you and I. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. So the evil day will come. The darkness will come. And Satan will tempt you to think that God isn't good and he can't be trusted. And he wants you to run, to abandon the faith. Or he wants you to fight out of your own strength, thinking that you have the ability some way, somehow. And like the disciples did in verse 49, as the scriptures were fulfilled, saying they, were all, they all left him and they all fled. They all took off. And that's what Satan wants us to do. They want, he wants us to abandon Jesus. Or he wants you to attempt to fight this battle in your own strength. But Jesus won the battle in the garden. And that's why he won the battle on Calvary. The disciples lost the battle in the garden. They slept when they should have been fighting their battle. You see, preparation in prayer, fear is a natural reaction. Fear happens. We can't control when horrible things happen in our life to respond with anxiety and fear. But if we've been in the garden, if we've been with Jesus, if we've been praying, if we've been seeking his face, then we're prepared. And we may have those moments where we think, what in the world is happening to me? But then we remember the good truth of God, the promises of God. And we say, God, even though the moment doesn't feel like it, we trust you. We believe in you, that you're good and you're faithful and you're true to your promises. And if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have a plan that's bigger than this moment that I feel right now. And it's bigger than this, these anxious feelings that I'm having right now. And it's bigger than the fear that I'm facing right now. Because I trust a God who's so much bigger than this moment. I think of Romans 8, 11, where Paul says, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. If the Spirit lives in you, if you're a believer, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Do you see what Paul's saying there? He's saying the power of the resurrection the Holy Spirit who provided the power for Jesus to raise again lives inside of believers. And so nothing that you face, no fear that you can come against can withstand the Spirit because the power of the resurrection is there to propel you and allow you to thrive in that moment. Over the flesh, over your fears, and experience hope and joy when the darkness falls on you. Do you find yourself at the moment 
fleeing. You just want to run away from reality and run away from God because you think God's not there. Are you fighting in your own strength? Are you trying to do this by your own abilities? Or are you seeking God? You see, faith, the third option, the option for Christians, it doesn't come natural for us. Biblical faith is counterintuitive and it's definitely countercultural. So we need God's grace. We need to ask God, God, give me faith for this moment. Give me faith. Help me in the garden to have victory. Don't let me be like the disciples who failed in the garden and ultimately lost the battle for Calvary. I've asked uh, Kate McRae to come and join me on stage today. I'm trying to interview somebody from the church each and every week. And I'm going to have Kate pull up a stool here next to me. Because some of you may not realize that Kate has been through a tremendous battle over the last few years. And I think it's pretty cool that we have a couple high school girls that have shared their story. First, Vivi on video, if you saw that earlier, talking about how that she lost one of the dearest things to her, which was her running ability, at least temporarily, and how that this has made her run to God. And, and, and I'm going to uh, just talk to Kate for a little bit and just tell everyone what you went through uh, over the last couple years. Well, um, when I was 15, I was diagnosed with ovarian type of ovarian cancer. And the Christmas of that year, I had a surgery, and they removed the mass along with my left ovary. And because it was so rare, none of my doctors here knew what to do with it, like to follow up with treatment. So they sent me out to MD Anderson in Texas, and they basically told us that there haven't been enough cases of this cancer to really know what helps best with it. So they basically just said we had to do MRIs every three months and blood work every month and then just kind of look out from there because there's nothing left to do really. And because of that, I kind of fell into a very deep depression for the next two years really. And through that, I developed very bad anxiety and it was just very hard. Well, walk us back. I mean, 15 years old, playing sports, enjoying academics, enjoying your friends. The last thing that you were thinking at 15 is cancer, right? Yes, sir. It took them, um, it really started the beginning of my sophomore year because, I mean, I lost a ton of weight, I lost a ton of hair, but no one really thought it would ever be cancer. So we kind of just, we went to a doctor and he said it was stress really, which made sense because most kids at Grace play every sport and take honors classes and everything and so he basically just told me to get out of sports and everything like that and so I did and nothing changed it kind of made me even more depressed because who wants to be at their house every day and so we went to a couple more doctors nothing tried a bunch of different medicines nothing started to help and then finally they did an MRI and they found a mass on my left ovary and so what was that moment like when for you when they used the word cancer. They told you you had cancer. I mean, like anyone with, who gets that diagnosis, I was just terrified. I mean, I kind of got mad at God for a little bit because I thought, like, why me? Like, at 15 years old, why would you do this to me? So I just really grew angry at him, and I kind of walked away from my faith for a long time after that. Yeah, and I have a, a daughter that's your age in school with you, and she's told me that 
you know, your faith has grown mm -hmm. so much Very during this. Much. Talk to about that. When did that start to turn and change and what, what caused that to, to take place? I mean, after my sophomore year, like after my surgery, I just kind of went back to normal because it was basketball season. So I kind of just was like, okay, I got all the cancer out of the way. So now I'm just going to go back to basketball, just try to have a normal life. And then school kind of stopped and everything slowed down. And I just really started to process, wow, like I just had cancer at 15. And so I really just drifted from my faith for about a year and then I got into some counseling and that really just opened my eyes to see that like, that God did not use this to hurt me or in any way. He, he changed my life because of it. And like, he made me a much better person because of what he's done yeah. in my life. And I'm just thankful for it every day. Speak to, you know, the fact, you know, when you say God made you a better person, um, I've seen some of this, but kind of what, what's God doing in your life through this? Some of the, some of the ways you're reaching out to other people and so on. I mean, it really taught me to just love other people because through what I was going through, like everyone in my life just loved me. Like, and it just like made the biggest difference in the world. So it gave me the mindset of if I'm not loving other people, like I'm not really doing anything. Mm -hmm. And then you started a, um, I guess some sort of foundation. Yes, sir. I started color me Kate last summer because God was just really speaking to my heart that, I mean, there are a ton of girls out there who are going through stuff every day and they might not have anyone in their life like I did to get them through that and to know that like it's okay to feel that pain and to just embrace it and not let it own you, mm -hmm. to really use it to change other people's lives. So what would you say to someone on the day that they heard the news that they had cancer? What advice, now looking back, and having a different perspective, what encouragement would you give them on that day? I would just encourage them to remember that, like through tough situations and just bad situations, God really does his best work and that he mm. uses those situations to change your life for the better because everything he does works out for the good, even though in that situation that you're in right now, it's the hardest thing in the world to think about, like that this is gonna turn out well, but it really does, and you just have to have that faith to keep on going. Well, thank you so much for coming and joining us today. Yes, and that really puts a, a face to what we talked about mm -hmm. today, that, that when that moment of, of darkness, when that, that evil day comes, and it could be, I mean, it's probably going to be a series of evil days for us in our lives, that, that we look to Jesus, and we've already cultivated that relationship with Jesus ahead of time, and that way that initial shock is quick, and then we fall in the arms of Jesus, and we um, just trust him. So let's pray, and then we'll have the band come back up. Father God, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ, who gives us hope. And we thank you that this is not just something that we talk about that doesn't really impact our lives, but as the, as the verse we looked at in Romans says, that it, it transforms our mortal bodies, that just everything about our lives is different because we're here for your purposes in your glory, not our own, and that we can trust you, that you're working all things for your glory, which is the most important, because this is your story, and for our good. And we know that's true because of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.